Hope everybody is having a wonderful morning. Sorry it's a little hot in here. Just how it happens sometimes. We're getting things figured out. So, um, it is going to be a little bit of a dark morning. Okay? Fits for Halloween. Halloween theme. I don't have especially fun things to tell our church um, and, and you all and myself. Uh, it's going to be a long morning, okay, um, so just buckle in for that. I will probably ruin your lunch plans. I'm not sorry about that. If you get up and leave, Jesus will be sad at you. Um, I'm not going not gonna to apologize for that either. Uh, if you aren't mad at me by the time I get done, um, you probably need Jesus. Uh, so it is hunting season. <coughs> I'm going to tell the story. Some of you already know it. Most of you probably don't. Uh, before my wife gets a chance to, because anytime hunting season comes around, since I'm such a noob, she likes to tell the story of years past. So I was 20 years old. It is an embarrassing story for a young man of my age. Uh, I was 20 years old. My parents were leaving to go somewhere for the weekend, and I was in charge. They left, and they're like, you are the guardian of our garden. Okay, so garden the garden, that's your duty. They left, and, and I was home alone all weekend. So we lived in Illinois uh, midst many cornfields. So cornfields bring uh, plagues of rabbits all over the place. There's more rabbits than you can imagine in Illinois. So doing my rounds, we have one pellet gun in the house. That was our, our weapon at the, at, the, at the time. Doing my rounds, come to the window, peek out to see what's going on. Lo and behold, there's a rabbit eating my mom's hibiscus plants, okay? That's absolutely a no-no. My mom said you protect those hibiscus plants. So I'm like, all right. So I've never shot anything. I killed some frogs years ago. I've never shot anything. I haven't been hunting yet. I was 20, okay? Just was in my life plan. So go get the pellet gun. And, you know, my dad was like, pump it. You know, it was like the pump, like couple times, four, five, maybe, maybe three. You don't want to hurt it, just want to show it to who's boss. I'm like, all right, so your heart's pounding. Get the pellet gun, and I'm pumping, and I'm just walking through the house, like amping myself up. You get real hard, you know, and you're just like, I don't, and you're broken, and you, and you click it. It was like probably 16 pumps, like the max pumps. So I get out, creep out the door, take aim, and I shoot it, and I hit it, which was a feat in and of itself, hit it in the back leg, and I'm pretty sure like I destroyed its back leg because it hit it and it just went limp like automatically and then I washed it as it drug itself off of my deck and I was like, I started, I started crying, okay? Grown, mostly grown man, crying. I, my emotions welled up inside me and I started panicking, okay? Because I haven't taken hunter safety yet. I don't know what you do in this moment. And so you start making a plan and you're like, okay, I'm gonna make a plan. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's like, it's still alive, obviously, very wounded. I'm like, okay, what do you kill things with? Because the gun didn't work, obviously. So uh, we killed a lot of stuff with shovels then. And so I was like, all right, I'm just, you know, I'm going to beat it to death with a shovel. And this is my plan. So I go get our garden shovel, and I set it out, weapon number one. I've seen my dad kill tons of things with shovels, so 
we're going to do that. And I'm like, I don't know. He'll start muttering. Like, I don't think I, don't think I can beat an animal to death with a shovel. That's, that's unusually cruel. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to get the gun. I'm going to I'm gonna do the same amount of pumps, and I'm just going to shoot it point blank in the eyeball. Like, that's got to do it. And then I, but, you know, in my mind, not knowing anything about anything, I'm like, well, what if I just blind it? And I'm just torturing this animal, like, at close range now. This is horrible and unjust. Still crying. Cried the whole time. It was like 20 minutes of just crying. And I'm like, you know what? I've killed tons of things with my car. I'm just going to go do that, okay? So I got in the garage because I got to park in the garage that weekend. I got in the garage. I backed my car out. I pulled it around the back of the yard, left it running. I was like, this, I've got my three weapons. One of them's got to do the job, okay? So I come back. This is a true story. I come back, and I look out the window. It's moved about 15 yards, meters, I don't know what to use in this country, out into our yard, okay? And I kid you not, there's like 15 rabbits and little babies and grandpa rabbits, and they're like circling it, and I'm like, what is happening? This is insanity, okay? And I don't know much about rabbits, so I was like, they're going to eat it. Like, they're going to eat it, because that's what you do in the animal kingdom. When something gets injured, you just eat it. And I'm like, I can't watch this. They had like a burnt, like a, a burnt offering thing going on. They had like flowers. It was like little drums that they were playing. Okay, true story. I'm like, this is horrible. So I get in my car, and I'm like, I'm just going to kill all of them. Like, just all one swoop, just going to do it. I was going to call my parents, tell them I'm moving out, and I'm done. Okay, horrible thing to put me in charge of. So I get out, come back, walk around the back of my yard. Three minutes tops. They were all gone. All gone. Even the broken one. All gone. I was like, I don't even know what happened. Crazy. I, minus the drums. All true. Okay? All true. Crazy. You might be thinking, what is the moral of the story? Moral of the story is shoot to kill. Okay? How does this work into church? Well, a problem that we struggle with in our church is often we do not have that mentality. We do not shoot to kill. It's like taboo. Everything else in life, not in church. But I think the bigger problem that we struggle with the problem we struggle with in this church, in many churches in this country, is our aim. What are we aiming at? And you have to ask yourself the question today, what are you and your family, what are you aiming at? There's a new TV show that I liked on Amazon. It's called The Rings of Power. It's like a new thing with uh, Lord of the Rings. It was, it was pretty good. I didn't have too many complaints. Um, if you like high fantasy and, and Lord of the Rings in general, I would say watch it if you can. A couple episodes in, they're getting ready for a battle. Spoilers. And in this village, there's this, this one of the main characters, this elf, his name's Aaron Deer. He's training the people to, to, to shoot and fight, and, and they're getting ready. They're getting ready for this battle, okay? And it is, it's a, it's a cool scene because you see this little, this boy, his name's Theo. He's, uh, he's, he's got a bow and arrow, and he's, he's you know, he's stanced up. 
and and he he sucks like he sucks at shooting bows and arrows and you're getting ready for this battle and like you can't you can't suck when you're getting ready for a battle all right and so Aaron Deer sees us he comes up and and he he walks around him and he you know actually like an archer would okay I don't know if this is correct form but uh, he goes up fires bullseye hits the target you can tell Theo's frustrated that he can't do the same thing. And Aaron Deere says this one thing to him. He says, lift your aim. Lift your aim. And I want that to kind of take us into the message today. Lift your aim. So Theo readjusts. He lifts his arm and releases and hits the target. This emotion kind of wells up inside me because as I'm watching this, as a, as a good minister does, how does this correlate to church and people and life? And I was like, this is what, this is what our church needs. Like, this is what this town needs. But specifically for us, for all of you, we need to lift our aim from this day forward. See, when we truly aim at what God wants, there's a great chance we're going to hit the mark. But I think for many of us, this, this is why our aim is skewed because we're a bit scared of hitting God's mark. Because with that, with that, that kill shot, that has consequences. And one of the big consequences is, is sacrifice. If you lift your aim, sacrifice, it, it's right there. It's kind of inescapable in, in, in the Christian life. So instead, we go around and we do our life and we're kind of aiming at everything. You know, we're shooting ourselves in the foot half the time, all right? We have to learn to lift our aim. So parents, I'm going to say parents of any age group, not just kids that still live at home, but parents. If there's any one group of people, and, here, and here's the thing, I want you to hear any of the words that I say to you today are, are for me as well. Like I've been, I've been processing these things for, for, a, for a while. But parents, if anybody in this room, anybody watching online, anybody needs to lift their aim, it's us. We need to fix our aim so that our children even have a shot at a target. Because right now, as I look across the culture and the country and our schools and, I mean, pretty much everything in our churches, we're not aiming at much. And the statistics prove it. I mean, we, I mean Doug's talked about this a hundred thousand times. Things are, 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 are pretty grave when it comes to Christianity in America. But we've got to fix our aim, parents. And here's the thing. If I, if I can get real for a moment, uh, I mean, I've been in ministry for a while. I've seen a lot of kids, seen a lot of families. Uh, most of the kids... Maybe even kids in this room. I don't even know if they know there's a target. And that troubles my soul. It troubles it deeply. And if it doesn't trouble you, you might need Jesus. See, they've, they've learned from you and me how to have terrible aim. They've watched us play at church and faith and, and, and literally God knows what else. And they're aimless and they're wandering 
And if we want our children to have a shot at God's kingdom, we've got to fix what we're aiming at. Parents, hear me. We have to fix what we're aiming at. Hunter's in the room. It's about that time, right? Hunting season. It's, it's already kind of there. But it's, it's that time of year. Just because you walk out the front door with the intent to go kill something, if you never lift your weapon or fire your weapon, you're not successful, right? Like it's an impossibility. I think a lot of times at church, this is what we do. We go through the motions. We, we, we do the things that we have been taught or, or what good Christians do, what, what, what churchgoers do. What and I think so often we're, we're so far back from where we think we are that we're just not getting stuff done. And I say that for myself as much as you. Parents in the room, I struggle with many of you, with myself, people watching online. Over the years, through this ministry, I hear a lot of complaints about our kids. I have a lot of complaints about our kids, about my own kids. That our kids have struggles, that we struggle with our kids. That there's problems in the household or our marriages. And here's the thing, for two reasons. Those either, those either exist because you're, you're aiming at the wrong thing. Or they exist because you're not aiming at anything. And I think that is a hard reality that we have to process. It's either you're not aiming at the right stuff or we're not even aiming at all. So parents, pick a target, preferably a spiritual one. Fix your eye on it. And prove to your kids that it's a priority to you. And they will do likewise. I mean, that is, time and time again, this, this is the struggle. Because, like, I hear parents, they, like, bring me their kids. I'm some sort of, like, spiritual witch doctor. And they're like, fix them. I don't know what to do. And it's like, I mean, that's a hard conversation for most people. Because it's like, well, yeah, you're, you're the illness in your kid's life, right? I mean, I feel this I in my own way. And that's a hard thing to process. And most of the time, I mean, most of the time parents aren't really ready to hear it or willing to hear it. Another movie reference, because that's all I do with my life, I'm pretty sure. Uh, how many people have seen the movie The Patriot? Okay, pretty good movie. I like it. It's the first R-rated movie my parents let me watch. Okay, uh, I felt like I was going to throw up in most of the scenes because I'd been desensitized to that amount of gratuitous violence yet. Um, but I watched it with them, and it was a good, it was a moment. It was a good moment in my life, I remember. It's like a man after that. So if you've watched the movie, you've seen the, the, the many scenes, okay? That first one where, where, spoilers again, where his son gets killed at his house. And it's, it's, I mean, as a kid, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not mentally prepared for this. This is insane. And, and, and as a father, you watch it completely differently. I mean, I understand just the visceral rage that comes in that moment. So he grabs his younger children, which is pretty crazy, and he takes them off into the woods, and there's a plan. Like, you know there's a plan. He pulls his two boys aside, and, and he gives them guns, and you're like, oh, this isn't going to end well. And he gives them instructions, and, and, and he's like, remember what I told you, right? How do you shoot? And they say, aim small, miss small. 
aim small, miss small. And as the scene goes on, you, you watch this, this unfold. And the whole concept behind aim small, miss small is almost like if you, you, you aim at the, the button on the shirt of the man wearing it, there's a good chance you're going to hit the mass behind the button. See, in, in, in ministry, in church, in our, in our spiritual lives, how small are we aiming? How, how dedicated, how pinpoint accuracy are we living? I mean, I think the hard thing is, like, how well do we know the scriptures so that we can even aim at the right things? Young students, this, man, this is for you. Don't wait till you're 30 to be like, you know what, now I'm going to take it seriously. Now I'm going to open my Bible. Now I'm going to have a prayer life. This is not going to work well. So aim small, miss small. Here's the thing. Your job isn't necessarily, maybe your job isn't necessarily to dream big for the church. If you want to, we, we invite that. But I'm going to say that's kind of what you have Doug and myself for and the leadership for. What I'm asking each of you to do is to aim yourself at a target in such a way that there is no way you will miss. Pick something. Something that affects this body, this group of people. Something that, that, that brings discipleship into your life. Something that transforms you. Pick a thing and aim at it like there's no tomorrow. Aim at a ministry, a goal for next year. Something that challenges your faith and your trust in God. As a church, like, can we make a pledge to stop this like spray and pray that we do? Let's get focused, all right? Let's get serious about this. We are small but mighty, okay? We've got we've to aim small what we're, what, we're, what we're doing. See, at the crucial point in that movie, if the boys would have missed the target, it's pretty clear he probably would have died on multiple occasions. That was based on a true story. It's not necessarily him. Benjamin Martin wasn't necessarily a, a real person. But, uh, I mean, that moment, that, that kind of initial climax of the movie, if the kids wouldn't have served their purpose and accomplished their, their mission that they were given, uh, he would have died, and it would have been a very short movie. They probably wouldn't have made the movie in the first place. And for all the good and the encouragement and the, the patriotism that that movie brought, it wouldn't have happened. So if you put that, 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 that understanding into your own life, I mean, how much are we missing? I don't want to be 50. I don't want to be 60 years old and just being like, man, I just did not do that much for the kingdom. I do not want to be in that, in that place. And I'm not asking you to rewrite history, but I am asking that you care about God and the church and your faith and your kids and your witness more than you do right now. I'm not calling you out on the mat. Maybe you're doing awesome. Maybe you're doing better than I am but there's still room for forward motion. Because there's the thing, I need you to understand that the choices you make affect me and my life and my faith. The choices you make affect me. They affect everybody sitting in this room. And you know what's crazy? Is the choices we make today, next week, next month as a church, are going to affect the people that come here to be a part of what God is doing here in six months, in a year, in two years. The choices you make now affect things that happen two years from now. That's crazy. That calls 
for a way different way to function, way different way to go about ministry, a way different way to go about parenting and, and life and finances and, and dealing with the brokenness in your life, way different way. And here's the hard thing, is when you decide to miss church for whatever reason, that choice matters. It has weight and it has consequence. Whether you agree or disagree, it does. And for some of us, as we claim to follow Christ, we are on the verge of missing church in its many forms a little too much. A little too much. So your church is small, and it's gotten small over the years. We expected that. I'm, I'm pretty good with it, to be honest. doesn't not have challenges that come along that, but we've got a plan. God has a plan. Our church doesn't necessarily have a membership problem. I think our church on occasion has an attendance problem. And you're going to have to wrestle with that in your own time. Just trust me, it's like frogs in my throat saying those words, but I can't not. The choices we make affect everybody around us. So why am I mildly ticking you off this morning? Well, because honestly, I feel like uh, we kind of have to be harsh sometimes. Because I've watched excuse and, and poor aim pull too many kids and too many families away from their faith and their church and good influence. And ultimately, it results in a people who say they're Christians but really don't do any Christian things. And here's the thing, like going to church, like can we admit that's like bottom of the barrel. I mean, we... People, people who do not, atheists can come to church, right? We, I mean, the door's literally completely open right now. Okay, anybody can walk in. We've got to step our game up. If that's the aim that you have, get a better aim. Because that's, I mean, it's bottom of the barrel. And I don't want to discourage anybody. But I think sometimes, man, as we read the scriptures, I mean, Paul, the, the, the writers, I mean, they were harsh with the churches when they needed to be. I was talking to Addie a few days ago, okay? We have matured conversations, so. I was talking to Addie as we were driving that Satan doesn't need us to be prostitutes or strippers or porn stars or drug addicts or murderers or violent offenders or, or aggressive abusers. He just needs us a little bit distracted and a little bit pious and a little bit selfish and a little bit convinced that the little bit we do for our Lord is enough. And as we drove down the road, I told her the only thing that that brings us is death. And not like good death that's talked about in the scriptures, like the second death, like the bad death. And I asked if she understood and she kind of nodded through it. Because that's the thing, Satan just needs us a little distracted for us to veer off the path. So that we convince ourselves we're good. 
Like, I'm good. I'm doing what God wants. Back off, right? So this leads us into our main point for the day, which is revival. Okay, so revival. Such a horrible word, to be honest. Um, I was writing about the only, the only thing revival brings to my head is like me being a young kid and a revival season was happening. And I hated revival season. It was horrible for a child, all right? Week-long, kids, week-long church of exactly this, but older people, okay? Worse music, okay? Sometimes food, but, and I, man, it was like yearly. I mean, revival, I hated it so much. And the thing as a kid is I watched my dad passionately prepare for everything and, and, and be prayerful and hoping like this year's the year, <laughs> all right? And year after year, I didn't see a whole lot change. We called it revival, but I don't know if revival happened. So the word, I struggle with the word, but here's, here's the thing. Today we're going to briefly talk about a few things, and then I will be done. But for a revival to occur, a death must happen. For a revival to occur, a death must happen. Turn with me to John 11. I don't have it up on the screen because I'm going to be all over the place. Uh, but we're in, we're in John 11 today, and I'm going to read some and, and, and kind of skip around a bit. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said this, sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let us go back to Judea. Okay. And they were, they were kind of puzzled by this because there was kind of violence in their past in, in this area. And, you know, they were kind of like, Jesus, are you sure? And he goes, well, you know, Lazarus is sleeping, so let's go back and wake him up. And they're like, well, but Jesus, like, natural sleep is a healer of the body. Just let him sleep. And Jesus is obviously like, you're not getting it. Um, Lazarus is dead. And we're going to go fix this. Okay? And so they, they venture, venture forth. Verse 17 it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now get this. Like, Jesus, I mean, we know the story. Like, Jesus could have prevented this from happening, right? Like, I mean, people ask that question here in a bit in the scriptures. It, he could have stopped it. He's Jesus. But he doesn't. And I think that's a hard thing that they're processing through. It's a thing that's a hard thing we have to process through. So now Bethany was just less than two miles from Jerusalem, and, and many Jews had come to kind of grieve and mourn and comfort the sisters. Okay. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, and, and Mary stayed at home. She said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus kind of goes through this, this conversation with her. And then calls Mary out. And then Mary takes off, runs out. Everybody with her is like, okay, something's happening. So they follow her. And she meets Jesus. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along also were weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asks. Come and see, Lord, they replied. 
And then it just says, Jesus wept. And I can imagine John's writing this. Like, what else do you say when our Lord and Savior is crying? So then Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. It says, take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, uh, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, if you want miracles to happen, a death has to occur. If you want revival, a reviving to happen, a death must occur. It, it can't happen any other way. So I know for many of us, we would love to see in this church full pews, full halls, lots of children, you don't even know who belongs to who, full offering baskets, overflowing so we don't have to worry about finances, discipleship happening on every corner of this church from oldest to youngest, people making more followers daily. I mean, we would love to see that stuff happen. But we won't see any of that happen if at first we don't understand that a death, a death must occur. If you want your life to change, okay, murder what is broken inside of you and something will change. If you want your kids to be better humans, murder that inside of you that's preventing that from happening. Because like it or not, your kids are who you teach them to be. Want to show them a, uh, what is a priority in your life? They will make it a priority in their life. I mean, that's a promise from scriptures. If you want this church to succeed in our mission for the kingdom, murder that which lives inside you that is preventing that from happening. Your selfishness, your greed, your anger, your pride, you name it. If it's getting in the way of your witness and your service, put it to death. Because we don't, we don't have a ton of time left. We don't have a lot of time left. See, the crazy thing is that the death and revival of Lazarus, it's like Jesus' last miracle. Like, his, like I think it was probably one of his biggest ones. It led right into the death and revival of our Lord because right in that next section that I didn't read is the plot to kill Jesus. Like, it was like this pushed them over the edge. They're like, no more. He's got to die. I mean, he was showing them something, obviously. But Lazarus' revival led to Christ's revival. It led to the death of Jesus, which led to him conquering the grave, which led to our freedom from sin's consequences, which led to the life of the church, whose main goal is to be a place of refuge for his followers as they lived and went out to share this story. But folks, a death had to occur. See, the crazy thing is I believe that we think we can get the same results as Jesus, but we don't have to die to anything. That's just not reality. Like that, that's not how God laid it out. 
And if I can see anything as I have grown up in the church since I was a wee little baby, something isn't working in America anymore. And I don't think it has been in my lifetime because the church is lost and its people are confused and their aim is off. If we look at our town, our state, our country, our culture, as we sit in our comforts, our kids burn. Like, I swear, I'm just, I have a lot of kids on my road, and I feel like they're just riding down the road on fire. I'm like, well, I could probably do something about that. And we seem content. And, and maybe you've told me, Caleb, I'm not content with this, but, but here's the thing. I don't need your words anymore. And Jesus doesn't need your words anymore. He needs you to prove it. He needs this church to prove it. As James so eloquently put it, somebody will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, we are almost done, I promise. Kids, you're being so good today. Here's the thing, I don't, I don't want you to come up to me or Doug after this and be like, what do you need us to do? What do you need help with? Because this isn't that. And this isn't, Caleb's obviously stressed out because he needs more volunteers, uh, and he's taking it out on us this morning. It's not that. It's bigger than that. And these words today are because I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. And I'm tired of the brokenness and all the broken people. I'm, I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of seeing hurting people and struggling marriages and, and kids on the brink and distracted parents and busy schedules that don't leave time for the Lord because the Lord is the only thing that's going to fix anything. It's the only option we have. And it's like the option that we're saving to like it's really stinking bad. Well, it's now. I spend most of my time with children. Okay? It is now. And it burns my soul. The truth is, in the last six months, we have ejected a lot of nastiness out of this church. And I celebrate that. And that might tick some of you off, but I do. And I pray that those situations get right with the Lord because they need to. But there, there was a void in this church, and there's, there's still a void in this church. And, and my worry is that Satan's going to use you, some of you, to fill that void, to fill the nastiness, to, to fill the brokenness. He's going to use your problems. He's going to use me. He's going to use my problems to fill the void so that once again we're a little bit distracted. Just enough. We're a little distracted. We're aiming at the wrong things. Instead of locked in, focus on what really matters. See, this is where it comes in. Aim small, miss small. Aim small, miss small. See, this is a small church, as you can see. But we've got big kingdom goals. Big kingdom goals. I kind of neither need to, I need you to get on board or I need you to go somewhere else. Because I don't know if I can do another eight years of this. 
You might be like, Caleb, you are very dramatic this morning. Yes, I am. Okay? I think some people call it passionate, but drama will do it. And that's the thing I love every one of you. And as much as I am saying those words, I should have a big mirror right here and say them to myself because this is what I'm struggling with. It's like I'm a leader. I'm, I'm leading your children probably off a cliff is what I feel like sometimes because I feel inadequate and I feel broken and I feel like they deserve better. But we got to change up what we're doing. Right now, it's, it's all hands on deck. We need everybody, everybody focused, everybody sacrificing, everybody missional. Kids, you're not off the hook, okay? I've got big expectations for you. Aim at something that matters. Now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, but now. Aim at something that matters. And you're going to be a force to be reckoned with. I mean, that, I, I love that. Here's my challenge to the church. I'm almost done, I promise. Here's my challenge to, to us. Band, you can come up. Give us a year. Okay? Give us a year. Where you sit down with your family. And you decide to make some pretty significant changes in your life. And some pretty insane sacrifices for this place, for the people in this room, for the mission of the church. Give God a year of all-out dedication, and I promise you he will not leave you and your family empty. It'll be the opposite. And I'm excited about that. He will transform this place into something that this town has never witnessed before. I've been here long enough. I don't know, St. James witnessed a lot of cool things in the spirit. We're going to change that. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Would you change your job for God? Would you take a pay cut for God? Would you change how you spend money for God? Would you change how you spend your time for God? Do you trust him with your kids and your future and your marriages? So even if we're already, even if you're already hard at work, that's awesome. You know you. So don't take my words as punishment today. If you're already convinced you're hard at work awesome but here's the thing I want you to let God get in those those hard dark places that you need change in your life and let him do some work because God wants to revive the deadness in each and one every one of us and in this church what I can see in all of us is that we need to lift our aim most of the time Let's be honest, we're not really aiming always at the right stuff. And when you have 60 people that are kind of aiming all different directions, it's hard to get some stuff done for Jesus. What I'm asking is that our aim is focused on the cross, the local church, and the mission of God. And let's see what he does with that. We're just asking you to give him a year of intense dedication. One year of intense dedication. At the end of it, you just have to understand, aim small, miss small. And he will show up and do awesome things.